Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? I actually only wrote down two things when I was watching this first episode, and that was horny housewives. I'm, I'm just going to say it, I'm, and I'm going to anticipate the wave of hatred coming my way. This sucks. I think this is quite a good take of a certain stereotype of awful millennial. You know, that sort of <laughs> entitled, lazy, accusatory, straight out of some god-awful critical theory course at uni, and they're jabbering on... <laughs> Jabbering on with various labels and accusations from intersectionality hell. Nice, stunning locations in the Greek Isles and Alexander Skarsgård in his trunks. I'm just going to say this, it depends how many bongs I've had. This one's going to have even the most hardened child hater wondering if it's time to breed. It's, it's very beavers and butthead in the Illawarra, isn't it? And I've got a tear in my eye. And I've oh got my a, God. Yeah, I've got a heart of stone. Oh and it really <laughs> broke me up. Binge List, your weekly guide to what's worth watching on Aussie TV. Joining me are Who Magazine's TV experts Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Welcome back, guys. Now, we've got some polarising shows this week, so this should be really fun. Hooray! Season 4 of Foxtel's historical time travel romance Outlander is available now on Showcase, with the action moving from Scotland to North Carolina. Now, Outlander is the kind of show you either love or you hate, and the fans of this show are very, very dedicated. So, Gavin and Claire, if either of you are planning to slag this off, I really hope you know what you're getting yourselves into. To. Claire, you start. Your thoughts on season four, please. Okay. <laughs> I'm very aware of how um, full-on committed Outlander fans are because I feel like I've had them contact me via Twitter and via my email address when I've written reviews on this show for a newspaper I worked for in the past. So, yes, hi to, hi to everybody out there that I've annoyed because I just need to start off by saying that I am not a massive Outlander fan, but I do respect it and I do think it's a good show. But I actually only wrote down two things when I was watching this first episode and that was Horny Housewives because <laughs> um, that's who it's supposed to appeal to, right? Like bored housewives who want the covers of their Harlequin Mills and Boons like actualised on TV. If that's your bag, then I fully respect you um, and that's what this show is, right? Like it's all about... Um, old old mate and his and his like tussled hair and his sort of baggy shirts and um, yeah it's it's really cheesy and and like I, I it is probably quite historically accurate but it just kind of makes me laugh sometimes but I have to admit I really really liked it I've re- this is the first season that I've watched in a really long time that I've been like oh this is gonna be ace this is gonna be a little bit like Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman sort of <laughs> you know. Like, I love the fact that they've moved it to America. I mean, it was cheesy as heck. And the the end scenes in that first episode with, like, um, America, you know, like, I was like, what is this? But I was there for it and I was totally committed to it. And, you know, I might just be getting older and a bit thirstier, but I'm, I'm there for it. What do you guys reckon, Gap? 
Oh, um, I'm, I'm just going to say it, I'm, and I'm going to anticipate the wave of hatred coming my way. This sucks. Oh, my God. I, I was oh not no. a oh, fan. I was not a fan of this at all, and I've tried with Outlander in the past. I've, I've checked in on the Paris season. I've checked in, you know, back in the day when she first touched the stone or whatever it was that sent her back in time. Um, I don't know. I just found this first episode of season four, which is all we've seen so far. By the time you hear this, episode two will have aired as well. I just found it really boring. It took way too long for Jamie to get his shirt off. And let's face it, that's what we're all watching for, right? <laughs> and when it did come, that sex scene was so gratuitous. I and so it. Yeah. Thirsty and so over the top. But then I laughed out loud when it cut from the sex scene to the shot of Claire the next morning looking like the cat that got the cream. I just, I literally, l- literally, I laughed out loud because it was just so cheesy. Um, and she was so dewy and like, you know, she had that rosy glow. I was so there for it. Oh my God. She was like, mm, yes, I just had my way with Jamie. Um, <laughs> But other than that, I found it really boring. There was a lot of talk about land and tax. I don't know. It felt like Star Wars Episode One, <laughs> um, and it, I wasn't really sure for a lot of it where it was headed until yeah, until that that big scene at the end on the boat where the music was playing while um you know she was swallowing rings and and um Jamie was getting beat up and all that kind of stuff. That was so weird. It was weird, but it was. I thought finally something's happening. They're not just sitting around having dinner and talking and showing off rubies on cleavages and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I wasn't there for it. I must say, um, and I found it kind of cheesy. And, and I won't be coming back to Outlander. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, look, it's not for me either. But I do see the appeal of this, and I do understand the intense devotion that the fans have to it. And speaking of that piece of music at the end of episode one, that's a bit of a hallmark of executive producer Ronald D. Moore, who likes to put. Put um, a historical 20th century songs into um, his TV shows. Now, if you were a fan of Battlestar Galactica, you'll remember, of course, one of the most pivotal moments in that show, which was his last hit, was that they had uh, the song All Along the Watchtower, which sort of a huge revelatory moment. And I think he was hoping for something a little along those lines here um, with the song choice at the end of episode one. And that was sort of also hammering home all of the parallels that they were drawing with between what had been happening in Scotland and what was starting to unfold in the new world. Um, Look, the history lessons are a little heavy-handed in this, especially when we have our heroine giving 20th century perspectives on what's happening. I found that a bit heavy-handed. Yeah, like when she goes, don't forget, in eight years' time, there's going to be a war and this is going to happen. And he's staring staring into (laughs) our eyes. Because that's going to affect her narrative and the narrative of her daughter, like, all of this stuff, it does have to check back into the 20th century because they've got a, she's got a time travel in a way that doesn't muck up the narrative for her own progeny down the line. Like, that's what I've always found really interesting about this show, the fact that it kind of skips back and forward. And you've got to remember that everything is kind of happening the way that it has to happen. Yeah. You're so like- hooked. You're so, you're an, you're an Outlander now, Outlander fan now, Claire, aren't you? I think I might be. Oh, my God, you guys have, like, fully, fully turned me, all you Outlander fans. Your years of incessant emailing and tweeting at me. Wore you down. Yeah, it's funny whenever people talk about Outlander, the words time travel are always mentioned, but really that's not the defining thing about this. It's not a big sci-fi show. It's not Doctor Who set in Scotland and North Carolina. It's a a big bodice ripper. It's it's an old-style sort of historical romance. That's really all it is. Um, It's got a fairly limited appeal. 
I think, but it's interesting that it's still running for four seasons. And Outlander fans, please don't take this as an attack. I understand your devotion. I've loved shows in the past too that aren't particularly great. It's something that there's something magical about some shows that hook people in. Now, I have not been hooked in on Outlander, but I'm glad that it's still running and I'm glad that everyone's still loving it. Claire, what show have you been addicted to? I will put my hand up as, as a massive Lost fan. I think I've talked about tried to squeeze Lost into this podcast every, every chance I get. I was obsessed with Lost down to the minute detail, and Buffy is my other big one that I used to have viewing parties for, was very obsessed about. Claire, Claire what would be your biggest TV obsessions that you would be like an Outland oh, fan for? I just stand on so many things over the years. I've almost lost track. I think back in the day, for me... Sex in the City was a big one. Like, that was really formative. That, you know, for me, that was kind of part of the reason why I moved to Sydney to make it in the big city. I wanted to be a columnist like Carrie. I made questionable love choices a la Bing and Aiden. Like, I, yeah, so that for me was like destination viewing. And, um, yeah, but, I mean, there's been heaps of them for me over the years. But, um, you know, there's a couple this year that I've been obsessed with. And one of them is one we're going to talk about in um, today's Hidden Gem. So, yeah. Ooh, we'll save it till then. Indeed, indeed. Now, Outlander fans, if you're loving Season 4 or if you're not loving Season 4, we'd love to hear your perspective because, as you've noticed, none of us are big Outlander fans. So I want to hear what you guys who love the show are thinking of how it's going. So you can reach us on Twitter. I'm Mr. Matt Denby. Gavin is Gavin Scott uh, 99 and Claire is I am Claire. So Outlander Season 4 is available now on Showcase. Hi, this is Angie. And Evie. And we're from Gogglebox. And you're listening to The Binge List. And now onto something completely different. Tanner's just debuted a reality show with a difference, The Secret Life of Four-Year-Olds. This one's going to have even the most hardened child hater wondering if it's time to breed. This is super cute and it also covers a lot of interesting information about developmental milestones like the beginning of lying and impost control plus the theory of mind, which is something really interesting. Did you enjoy it, Gavin? Oh, I couldn't stand this show. <laughs> Joking. How, how could you hate a show about four-year-olds? I was going to say, you heartless, heartless man. I was, I was yeah. waiting for your outrage, Claire. You're, um, you're dead. You're dead inside. <laughs> that's right. No, I, no, this show's great. I mean, who doesn't want to watch a bunch of kids playing and mucking around and learning life's big lessons? It's such a delight to watch. There was a UK version before this, which was really popular on Lifestyle uh, on Foxtel, and now yeah, Channel Ten have done the Australian version. For me, it's really just like Big Brother Junior edition with yeah. slightly less tantrums. You know, they they have yeah. they have tasks, they have challenges, uh, they're, they're called to the diary room every so often to talk to the camera, um, and they're, they're an audience favourite. You're getting behind the ones you like and don't like, and I'm not going to name names because they're four-year-olds and, and you know, that, that would be horrible. But um, and that's when I was watching it, that's what made me think, I thought, would I put my, I haven't got a four-year-old, I've got a five-year-old, would I put my five-year-old on a show like this for all of Australia to judge? And I'd have to say no, I wouldn't, because... You know, even as I was sitting there going, oh, that kid, such a pain. And, you know, I don't want p- people around Australia judging my child because of, you know, her behaviour. And, and, you know, it, sometimes it's not the best, <laughs> like every five-year-old. You know, there, there are tantrums, there, there's disobedience, there's, you know, all of that kind of thing. Would I want to put that on air? So that was what I found myself thinking about as I was watching this. Would I put my own child on here? And I wondered why the parents involved did put their own kids on, on TV. But having said that, I'm glad they did because it was fun to watch them. Claire, you have a four-year-old, don't you? I do. And I just found this show 
absolutely fascinating from from a kind of developmental point of view. I mean, um, obviously, I'm I get to observe my little subject up close and personal every day, um, and he sometimes I look at him and go, "Oh my God, you've just learnt to." You know, you've just learnt to lie or you've just learnt to manipulate me or like all this stuff. And it's really cute, but it's also a bit like, oh, God, this is like the blueprint for the kind of person you're going to be. And the way that I react to the way that you're behaving, you know, is like, is going to be really formative. Don't stuff this up, Claire. Like, um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love this. I actually think that the people who have put their kids on this show, and I agree with you, Gab, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my put forward my son to be judged in this way, even though I think you would all just absolutely fall in love with him because he is the best. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think it will be really great for the parents to have this little fly on the wall slap, snapshot of what their kids get up to at daycare and the little conversations they have. I mean, it's fascinating the way that they interact with each other. Unless you're a daycare early childhood educator, you you wouldn't really get an insight into this little um private world of these kids and I just was absolutely in love with everything about this show. That's that's really true, Claire. Sorry to interrupt. That's really yeah. true because, yeah, well, I asked my five-year-old what she did at, at preschool and she comes home, oh, nothing, or I forgot. Yeah, that's what, yeah, same. I forgot. And they always go, nothing, yeah. I don't remember. And it's like, no, you were there for, you know, seven, eight hours, however long it was. Yeah. Well, you know, so, yes, that that's true. That is a good good uh, part of the show is that you do get to see the types of things that their four-year-old's doing, the games they play. They, uh, um, You know, that, that scene where the girl had written her name on the um, cubby house or whatever and then was trying to say that she hadn't yes. she hadn't scribbled on the cubby house. I was like, well, it's your name. Who Leave Jacqueline <laughs> alone. Leave Jacqueline alone. Well, like, have you eaten the chocolate? No. And then they've got just faces covered in chocolate. <laughs> it's just so, it's so funny. And, and I think actually... Um, I think grandparents are going to really love this show as well because it'll it'll bring it all back for people that maybe haven't had kids for a really long time because it doesn't matter what era you're raising your children in. Children are children. It doesn't matter how much technology they're, they're exposed to. They're always going to choose to play. And that, for me, is what's really interesting with this show is just that little fly on the wall look at the way that they play with one another, which is such an interesting kind of social... It's like, yeah, as you say, it's like little mini micro big brother. I loved it. And it doesn't even matter if you have children, right, Matt? Because you enjoyed it too. That's right. Now, I don't have children, but this show made me want to have some and soon. <laughs> oh, my it's, God. The kids Matt. are so yeah, cute. And the, even the kindy, the little TV kindy, it looks like Teletubby Land. It's so cute. <laughs> and the kids are all charming. And I was really happy and sad at different points while watching this. But, you know, there's a little bit in the first episode where Jacqueline was talking about how the other kids didn't play with her and she she was really sad, and I got a tear in my eye. And oh I've got, my a, God. yeah, I've got a heart of stone, and it really <laughs> broke me up. And I thought that poor little girl. I wanna, I wanna play with Jacqueline and make her happy. It was really sad. Now, oh my I, God, try watching this with PMT, Matt. Oh my God. Oh really? And how are yeah, the girls? Yeah, that's a PSA for everybody. <laughs> how are the girls when um, Jacqueline came up and can I play with you? Maybe tomorrow. Oh, and I was just like, <gasps> just mean. Brutal, it? it starts oh. early, doesn't it? The patterns oh of life God. start early. But then on the other hand, you see that beautiful little moment where they're doing this task where they have to choose a cookie jar or, you know, a toolbox. And in the toolbox is the cookies and in the cookie jar are some nuts and bolts. And it's really interesting to kind of see how that plays out because one of the little kids has this cute little friend that she loves and, like, she fully gives him the heads up on which box to choose and it's really gorgeous. You're like, oh, that's so sweet. 
Yeah, there is supposedly a higher purpose for watching this show, which is to teach us about developmental milestones. I'm not sure whether I really believe that's what this is all about. This is just... I got a lot out of it from that, Matt. Oh, did you? Did you? Yeah. I think most people would just enjoy the adorable kids being kids and it's a, it's a yeah. break away from all the harshness of life and the more sophisticated, difficult problems we deal with. And it was just lovely seeing these lovely little kids having fun. I think the only complaint I have about this is I felt it ran way too long. I thought my, half an hour would have been adequate. What do you guys think? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know I like I like a quick show and I don't like things dragged out, as we'll hear later in this episode. But, um, but yeah. I would agree with that. Now, Even a little Weber series where it's like 15 minutes. So just if you're feeling a bit depressed about the world, you can just put on a little 15-minute chunk of it and just watch a cut, you know, watch 15 minutes of kids being delightful and just go, oh, my God, everything is right with the world, even though it's like America's like a giant dumpster fire and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. At least we've got these little four-year-olds we can watch for little snippets of time. Yeah. Now, that's unanimous. We all loved it. So if you haven't watched The Secret Life of Four-Year-Olds yet, it's available on 10Play. Do check it out. TV News. It's TV News time, and the ABC is bringing us a bunch of new comedy pilots as part of its Fresh Blood initiative from November 20th. Now, we've seen four pilots, and it's quite a mixed bag. Let's start with the animated sitcom Koala Man. What did you think, Claire? You know, I actually really liked this. It's really unusual because it's kind of um, a sort of South Park style cartoon and it's really strange and it's really dark and bizarre but uh, yeah there was something about it that I was like oh my god I would totally watch this show it's about it's about a um a man he's like a divorced middle-aged dude who works for um the city council and in his spare time he puts on this weird koala mask and does good things for the community he's sort of like a koala superhero so weird. I, I really can't do it justice and I really don't even want to begin to try and explain to it. But let, let's just say, like, would I watch a whole series? Well, it's a bit debatable, but I'm just going to say this. It depends how many bongs I've had. This is oh, my on, God. This is not, I'm not saying I smoke bongs, but I'm saying this is full-on stoner humour and it's done really well. So, yeah, what did you guys think? It's, it's very beavers and butthead in the Illawarra, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Lots of uh, taking the piss out of Bogan culture. And, and, yeah, I thought there were some good one-liners in there. And I feel like Australia could do with some un-PC animation like this. Obviously, we've got heaps from America with, as you mentioned, South Park, Family Guy, American Dad, all the all those Seth MacFarlane shows. Um, so it's good to see Australia doing something like this. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. It's right up there with some of the better American adult comedies. I wouldn't say that it's great, but it is good, um, sometimes very good. This one, they should definitely pick up for series. I'll I be, reckon. I'll be quite annoyed if they don't pick that, this up for series because out of the four, I think it's by far the most viable and the most consistently funny. And it's funny as well. It's just yeah. funny. Now, the yeah. animation style looks quite cheap and nasty, but that's also consistent with the style of this um, genre as well so there's not really a problem the only downside is that it sounded like uh, almost all the characters or maybe all the characters were voiced by the same person who i, I think they are aren't they? yeah i believe creator. it's the creator michael cusack now that was a bit distracting because his voice talents aren't as diverse as perhaps they could be no i and, loved that about it oh you it did really like it hokey. what yeah, did you think yeah. gavin I didn't notice it, to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's some funny local humour here. Um, I think that 
I myself have sort of dropped out of adult cartoons. I used to quite like Family Guy, and some mm. of the Family Guy is still hilarious, but there's stuff that isn't that great. I haven't watched The Simpsons for probably several years. Um, most of the others I can give or take. But I think the main audience for this is probably going to be younger males, teenage males, males in their 20s and 30s. It's from the bong, man. Hits yeah, I think bong. that audience is going to love it if they, if they can find it, and I think it has the potential to be a hit for the ABC, which is always great with Australian comedy. The second one is why you like this, which is a dive straight into millennial hell. You'll either love this thinking that it's hilarious satire or you'll think it's a painful confirmation of all your worst stereotypes about that much maligned generation. Where do you fall on this one, Gavin? Well, I actually watched this one last. I I must have watched them out of order. Um, And and with the other three, I was kind of like, "Eh, okay. But then... I really like this. This was my favourite of the four. It felt like Australia's answer to Broad City mixed with a bit of Please Like Me in there. Um, and yeah, the characters are, are mostly unlikable. It uh, centres around these these two female friends, one who can't hold down a job because basically she doesn't really care and doesn't try and, and is yeah. you know, um, not interested in... in work in in any respect um and her <laughs> and her other friend who is quite um seems to be quite conscientious and you know they go out to bars they've got a friend who's a drag queen it's all very now it's all very 2018 um and yeah i think it's kind of the point that most of them are unlikable because uh yeah you're meant to sit there feeling a little bit better than them i, I think um but uh yeah I, I thought it was the most consistent of the four and and the most effective and and quite funny and something that especially in the two we're going to talk about next which i didn't find that funny at all i found this one quite funny um but yeah claire did it appeal to you because you're you're a broad city fan aren't you yeah, I suspect I was quite a lot like these young girls when <laughs> about 15, 20 years ago. Gavin, was I? Was I that awful? No comment. Oh, no. Gavin and I used to work together back in the day in my early 20s. Anyway, side note, I actually like this because I thought the performances were quite good, but I have to say the characters are awful. They're like really, really awful people. Or maybe it just reminded me a little bit too much of the sort of interns that I've worked with over <laughs> the years. And like, or maybe it just reminded me of myself a bit. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's very – think Broad City um, – I mean, I guess that's the whole point. The, the, the fact that they're not very likeable is like, I guess, why why the show's called Why You Like That. Mm. But um, it's quite fun. And, yeah, the performances are great. It's definitely worth checking this one out. Yeah, they're entitled, aren't they, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I think this is quite a good piss take of a certain stereotype of awful millennial. You know, that sort of <laughs> entitled, lazy, accusatory, straight out of some um, god-awful critical theory course at uni and they're jabbering on. <laughs> Jabbering on with various labels and accusations from intersectionality hell, but um, also quite um, amusing as well. I think the target audience of this is probably going to be millennials. I think they will flock to this. They'll enjoy this. A lot of other people will enjoy it. I enjoyed it, but I think a lot of other people are also going to be turned off because they may see this as a celebration of a certain personality type rather than a condemnation. I think, though, this is also one that's worthy of being picked up. I'd love to see the ABC pick this one up um guys do you think it's got much chance as a full series I yeah think- i want to 
say more? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I feel like, um, you know, they can make episodes about nothing really because it's not really about what happens. It's yeah. just about these um, these girls kind of bumbling, th- bumbling through life yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So it could kind of just run and run and they just could in- invent. I'd like to see them have some kind of realisation through a series that maybe the way that they're living their lives isn't optimal. Um, you know, I wonder if there's room to kind of actually grow these characters, a bit like the way they, they have in Broad City, you know, like five seasons in, you know, the girls have kind of grown up in front of our eyes. And, uh, yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of um, scope for this show. I want to spend more time with these characters, even though they're awful. Yeah. I sort of want to see them get their comeuppance in a way. Yeah. I think all the performances were quite good too. Right? Even though these guys, most of them are starting out, their timing's really good, their delivery's yeah, really good. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? The third pilot is The Angus Project, which deals with an aspiring journalist with cerebral palsy and his colleagues, friends and neighbours in Bathurst. Now, that's a potentially edgy premise, but is it funny, Claire? Yeah, it's a really strange one to talk about. This show is really unusual. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. I I don't know, but I want to say it's the first time someone with cerebral palsy has been on screen. Um, The guy that is... uh, is is central to this and who's the actor who obviously has cerebral palsy in real life, um, he's actually really good. And after a while, you don't even really notice his disability, which is interesting. They subtitle the way that he speaks. Um, I didn't mind this. I, I, but it's weird. It's a bit like... Um, it's a bit like Koala Man in that the humour is just really strange. And uh, it, t- it took my brain a little while to kind of get my head around what was actually going on. But there were some very, very funny bits about this. I liked the fact that it was set in Bathurst. I liked the fact that there were some really great performances um, by the two central characters who were friends. Um, one of the guys is a young cadet journalist working for the local paper. He's the guy with cerebral palsy and his best mate, who's also his carer. She's kind of a little bit like one of the chicks from Why You Like That. She's not particularly likeable. She smokes bongs and gets up to mischief and doesn't really give an F. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was kind of an interesting dynamic between her and her friend. Um, and I kind of would like to see more from this world, but... I didn't love the script, actually. No. I think it needed someone to really go in there and go, you guys need to really focus on this part of the script and completely can that. So, um, yeah, I thought it showed potential. It's an interesting premise and I like the fact that we're seeing diverse uh, voices and people on our screens. But, uh, yeah, it needed a jolly good editing. But, you know, good on them for giving it a crack. I wasn't a fan of this at all, I have to say. I I just didn't find it funny. Um, and by the halfway point, I'd, I'd had enough, so I turned it off. But uh, <laughs> Nina, Nina Ayama, who plays the carer, um, and and she, I think she directed it and and it co-created the show. Uh, she's recognisable from Utopia. She took over from Michelle Lim Davidson as the kind of clueless receptionist in in Utopia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Once Michelle went off, and um, I don't know why she left Utopia, but maybe just to do more play school. But uh, I definitely preferred Michelle's receptionist in Utopia to, to Nina. I, I don't know. I find Nina. I don't know. I don't. I don't warm to to her characters. I, I must say, and and I didn't warm to this show. But I guess 
her coming from Utopia is why Rob Sitch is in this show. Yeah, and uh, obviously he, you know, he was probably the best thing about it. I'd have to say. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah, he was the only one in here who really kicked it out of the park. I've got to say, I didn't laugh at this once. And what really annoyed me was that I could see there were a lot of potentially really good jokes and situations in, in this, which were just undercooked. They weren't. Um, they weren't ready yet to be presented in a finished show. Mm. Um, Look, I think the thing that annoyed me most about this, though, was the constant stream of minor characters who are really mugging obscenely for the camera or over-delivering their lines in the hope that they'd get noticed. That was really lame. I've got to say, the only notable exception was Rob Sitch, who was obviously a great professional. The central concept here uh, with the the main character has so much potential. It just wasn't delivered on. Unfortunately, I think this is just way too undercooked to go to series. There's no a legitimate reason that they could put this to series. It's just not ready. Maybe I thought their performances were good though, Matt. Like I thought right. those two were actually really good. They're the creators, right? Um mm. I can't I don't know the guy's name, which is awful. But yeah, him and, and um and the chick that you were just talking about, Gab, they're behind this. Yeah. They're actually both really excellent. But I just think they really need someone to just help them with the script and just make it tight. Yeah. I think his name actually is Angus. Oh, is it? I think so. Oh, there you go. We should we should probably check that. We should probably do our research before coming on to the podcast. Watching it like normal punters would, right? Like we yeah. don't know anything yeah. about this show. We Good have, one. I mean, we read the press release, but we weren't. It wasn't in front of us while we were watching it. Correct. Good one. Thank. Good save, Claire. Yeah. Look, I, I I'm sorry to say, I think this is the least deserving of the four to go to series. Agreed. So I would be surprised if it did. And finally, we've got Be Your Own Boss, which features writers and creators Cameron James and Becky Lucas playing a bunch of characters inhabiting a down-market shopping mall. These guys are obviously massive, massive fans of Chris Lilly, and especially Summer Heights High. A lot of time, though, has passed since that classic show went to air. Is this sort of thing still funny, Gavin? I think it could be funny if it's done well. And uh, spoiler alert, I didn't think it was done particularly well here. But yeah, I, I agree. All I could think while I was watching this was, yeah, they've been watching lots of Chris Lilly shows. Uh, as you mentioned, it's set in a shopping centre where it's, it's kind of like a bunch of pop-up shops uh, are put in there. And one is a gym and, and uh, all the workouts are done to the music of Pink. <laughs> and uh, and and the woman who who runs it has this little pink streak in her hair, and she tries to do that thing that Pink does, where she wraps herself up in a, a some fabric hanging from the ceiling and spins around, yeah. uh, and and doesn't do it very well. So there were some really funny ideas, but yeah. I just don't think the delivery was as. Fu- I don't think they're as funny as they think they are. Mm. Uh, basically, the, the the two people behind this, I think that they probably think they're funnier than than they are. In, in fact, on screen, which is kind of kind of cruel, but anyway. So, so yeah, so they do this gym, that then they change their wigs and they're a couple running a workshop for bullies and uh, they get the bully the bully victim and the, and the person who was the bully together and, and they do, you know, all these uh, awful, awful, like, um, theatrical things with them, like, you pretend to be this animal and you pretend to be that animal and, and work out your differences by uh, by mime and, and things like that, which, you know, this clu- horrible, clueless adult um, uh, counsellor thing that, that you'd have at high school instead of actually dealing with, with bullying properly. And a then, bit Mr G, wouldn't you say? A little bit Mr G, yeah. And they uh, also run a pet shop as well. Uh, so there are some good ideas in this, but, um, I, yeah, I just didn't think it was funny enough. And so, again, I turned this off halfway. Claire, did you like Be Your Own Boss? 
No, I turned it off halfway through as well. I couldn't deal with it, um, mm. which is really brutal because I, I hate bagging out on things. I say this all the time, you know, made by local people and new faces. Like I keep banging on about the fact that we need new new people, you know, new fresh, fresh blood, literally, as ABC is describing it, to be working on new projects. But, yeah, this didn't really fire for me. Do you know, I couldn't help com- um, comparing it to Anne Edmonds' show from last year that was one of my favourite shows of the year called Edge of the Bush, and each episode was only five minutes long. It was on iView. You can still watch it on iView, I think. And she plays various characters in that, and it's just really, really good and really funny. And um, and it was everything that I wanted this to be, but it wasn't. So if you if you like this kind of thing, and it sounds awful to check out a different show, but check out Edge of Bush because <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I saw Chris Lilly everywhere in this. Everything about it from their delivery and their, even their intonation of their voices, the way they work their cameras, the, you know, the obsessions with suburban ugliness. I think they spent a lot of time in their youths, in their teen years, watching Summer Heights High reruns. I did think there were some funny moments. I did like the fit-like pink gym that you mm. talked about, Gavin. There were some quite cute moments in that. The cageless pet shop, though, was a bit of a dead-end concept. Not really any laughs there. Some of it was moderately funny, but the whole thing's just overly familiar and very derivative. I think this could have been made 10 years ago. Um, look, I'm going to say this isn't really... Uh, the wave of the future. We've seen it all before. So, again, I'm going to say I don't think this is ready to go to series. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, given I don't the, want to agree, but I do. Given the fact that we both turned it off halfway through, I think we've probably seen enough. Right, <laughs> yes. Now, all four pilots will be available on ABC iView from November 20, so do check them out. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Gavin, you've been watching Little Drummer Girl, which is on BBC First from November 14. I have. I watched the first episode and I started the second episode and then I gave up. Uh, yes, it's another show that I got bored with because everything took so long to happen. So this is another adaptation of a John le Carre novel, like The Nightmare Manager, which everyone loved a couple of years ago. Uh, so obviously they're, they're trying to tap into that audience uh, until I think there's going to be a second season of The Night Manager. I think it's the same creators, isn't it, Yeah, yeah possibly. And um, so until season two of The Night Manager comes, if, if, if it's going to come, they thought, well, yeah, let's, let's dive into his back catalogue and, and pull something else out. So it, it started off really excitingly. Uh, a bomb goes off in, in a situation where you wouldn't expect a bomb to go off without um, spoiling things too much. And it's a terrorist act by a Palestinian terrorist. And then there's a bunch of Israeli spies uh, trying to ca- catch this terrorist. And so that's kind of one storyline. And then there's another storyline involving this young actress called Charlie, who's part of this awful amateur theatre group, who suddenly find themselves with this mysterious benefactor who whisks them there in London and, and whisks them all off to the Greek Isles to, um, to work on their theatre. Um, which should have been a, a giveaway that something was up because their theatre wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, and and you kind of think, well, what's the connection between these two storylines? How does Charlie relate into to this you know terrorism storyline going on over here? 
Um, and it's not until, it's not even the end of the first episode. The end of the first episode, they start coming together and it's not until you get into the second episode where the pieces fall into place and you kind of think, oh, okay, this is all, this is how it hangs together and this is where we're going from here. And for me, that just takes too long. But I'll stop whinging and I'll talk about the, the, the good parts. The Greek locations are stunning. There's a, there's a scene uh, in, outside the Acropolis, I think, at night and it's really beautifully lit and Charlie's in this wonderful dress and she's there with Alexander Skarsgård. And here's the other reason why you should watch because Alexander... Yeah, exactly. Alexander Skarsgård is in it and he gets into his swimmers in the Greek Isle. So uh, that might be reason enough for a lot of people to watch it. Nice, stunning locations in the Greek Isles and Alexander Skarsgård in his trunks. But, Gav, you haven't mentioned the most important thing for me, which is the fact that it's set in the 70s. Yes. And um and the the costumes are amazing. Yeah, the seventies detail is, is really good as well, but I kind of feel like so many other shows have done that. It needs something more than just good period detail and, and a few good hair flicks. <laughs> and um but yeah, that it, it that that's done really nicely and, and a lot of money has been obviously spent on design and costuming and all that kind of stuff. I just wish it had more thrust to it. I kind of you know, I wanna get into these shows, but Time is short, and if something's going to take two episodes to to get to the point, I just you know I'm out by then. Okay. Yeah. Whereas the night manager, like right from the opening sequence in that, it was just fantastic right from the get go, and like it's similar thing in that it had these amazing locations and an international backdrop and lots of money spent on special effects and things and a fantastic cast. But this just moves too slowly. Like if you're looking for another night manager, um, don't go. To this one. Okay, and Little Drummer Girl is available on BBC First from November 14. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. The Hidden Gems are often the best, and Claire, you've been watching Crashing on ABC iView. Yeah, I have. This is, you know how we were talking about shows that you're absolutely obsessed with? Well, actually, weirdly, this is one of them, and I completely discovered it by accident. I mean, I, I have a fairly good idea of what's going on in TV land, but I was just flicking one night and came up uh, against this on iView, and unfortunately, there was only one episode on there, and they're dropping it weekly but yeah um you've probably heard us talking about our love for phoebe waller bridge on this show um regular listeners of the podcast will know how much we love her she's the genius behind fleabag which was a fantastic comedy from earlier this year and also she wrote killing eve which is our all-time mega all-time favorite Hooray. shout out everyone else go home we love it yeah um so i think she deserves all the baftas and emmys and logies for everything and she's really great in this which is a comedy about a group of 20 somethings in london living as property guardians of an old disused hospital. And Waller Bridge is, uh, she is the, behind this and she actually originally wrote it as two plays and then sort of changed it up as a TV series and she stars as Lulu, who is a bit of a quirky, irritating, ukulele strumming best friend of Anthony who lives in the hospital with his fiancée, Kate. Now, um, Anthony and Lulu have quite the history. There's heaps of unresolved sexual tension between the two of them, which is really at the heart of the story. You kind of want them to get together, but you also don't because you kind of are rooting for poor old Kate who's just clearly knows there's something going on between her fiancé and her best best and his best friend. But, yeah, um, it's also really great for the secondary characters. There's a couple of really good ones. There's Sam, who's kind of like this Lothario real estate agent who has recently lost his dad and strikes up this unusual friendship with this guy, Fred, who's this very buttoned-up character. There's a French chick called Melody who decides that she's going to seduce this daggy divorcee called Colin, who's played by a dude from The Bill. And it's just perfect. If you love Fleabag, 
and you love Love Sick on Netflix or or you were into last week's Hidden Gem, which is uh, You're the Worst, then you'll, you'll really love this. Um, and give yourself a bit of prolonged gratification and wait for ABC to drop it each week. Like it is available to binge on um, iTunes, but I would say wait every week and, and, and get as into it as I am because it's terrific. Okay, sounds great. So Crashing is available to view on iView, so check it out. Well, that's the end of another episode. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also hear us each week on all the major podcast apps if you'd like to get in contact you can tweet me at mr matt denby or gavin via gavin scott 99 and claire at i am claire until next week everyone happy viewing bye happy viewing binge list brought to you by who magazine 